Welcome to the Dell Healthcare Power Chat podcast series, where you hear from the experts about healthcare technologies. Hello, everyone. Bruce Hall here, and welcome to another Dell Healthcare Power Chat. And today we're going to get into the world of harnessing data to improve critical care with Dell partner Medical Informatics Corporation. And our guest is Heather Hitchcock, who's the Chief Commercial Officer for Medical Informatics. How are you doing today, Heather? I'm great. How are you, Bruce? I'm doing great, and thanks for being on the podcast. Could we start with a little bit of your background, please? Bruce, I, I kind of joke. I think I've been in healthcare for about 30 years. I started, my dad was actually a consultant for hospital-based physicians, and so I was transcribing medical tapes at 12, not working at the mall, and really came right out of college did medical device sales, was a marketing manager for a number of different companies, spent a lot of time in monitoring as a product manager at Space Labs Healthcare, and then really segued into healthcare IT. About the last 15 years of my career have been very focused on healthcare startups and looking at great technologies, innovative things, and how do I help bring those wonderful technologies to market. So I was at Capsule Tech for device integration and now looked at moving to medical informatics to see how do we do more with the data that we're collecting to begin to change care. And so I've been there about three years and right now focus on the whole commercial strategy. So the sales, marketing, positioning, et cetera, and just very excited about where we are in our journey. Okay. Thanks for that. And when we think of medical informatics, we also refer to it as MIC. Is that correct? Yeah. I'd say our clients tend to say MIC, MIC, our website's even MICHealthcare.com. So it's definitely more of the acronym that people tend to use. Okay. So MIC it is. Heather, we hear the buzzwords of IoT, AI, and precision medicine, and all these disciplines ultimately come down to data. How would you describe the opportunity to use this data to affect healthcare? In general, we all know that the key to transformation is data, right? It's harnessing that data. It's making it more actionable. And AI is the key to that promise. I think that's in all industries. I think everyone realizes that, that now we're finally at this place where due to even the technologies being able to enable it at a lower cost, we can begin to start to collect all of it and teach those models. But the thing that I always think about, in many ways, I I think the industry puts the cart before the horse. Like we're all racing to this space of, yes, I want to do AI. But it honestly starts with the data itself, because if you don't have the data collected, you can't teach the data anything. And so that's one thing that I think is really important for us to think about in the space. And the second is AI in healthcare is really different. You're in an FDA regulated space. We're not talking about cat pictures, right? We're talking about human impact and saving lives. And so in some ways, there's also a lot of fear, right? There's a lot of fear in healthcare in us moving so fast that we start predicting things that are actually inaccurate. Because like anything, it's like garbage in, garbage out, or quality in, quality out. You've got to make sure you have the right data to have the right information and the right outcomes. You'll even see physicians and doctors, and then when you look at what the FDA is coming out with, machines, are they going to be making decisions for me? And what happens there? And so I think in healthcare, it's going to be dramatically different when we think about AI. You're even seeing an industry shift where if you've read a lot of the articles recently in healthcare, they're starting to call AI augmented intelligence because we're augmenting the decision-making. And I really do think that's a better term in our space. And one of the things that really highlighted it to me last year, I was at a conference, one of a, it was a smaller conference. One of the docs we work with who had worked on one of our arrest predictors, he came out and really started his speech saying, you know, I went to med school to save a lot of lives and I've saved a lot of people, but I lose people. 
And the reason is because in a single minute, especially when we're talking about complex critical care environments, I have to process over 300 data points. And sometimes I'm going to process it wrong. So machines are never going to make the decisions for me, but I need machines to process it faster so I can save more people. And so I just think we want to think about that as we leverage these new age tools that healthcare is very different from some of the other industries that are leveraging this technology. So augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. Yeah. And that's not my term. It's just, I just actually came back from the health conference and there's a lot of talk about that, that in healthcare, especially, and especially when we're talking about critical care, when we're talking about this acute care hospitals, leveraging this technology, that we are going to always have to have humans and especially these care team members that went to med school for ages to take the data and make the decisions that it might inform the decision-making, but we have to be very careful at how we leverage that and put it into the environment and making sure that the data itself and the integrity is there so that the informed decision that they're giving, informed information, is accurate. So it all starts with the data, and that makes sense. What do you see as the challenges for collecting and aggregating this data, both in real time and over time? And that's the biggest challenge of all. Back to my background of being in this space for so long, we have such a data conundrum in healthcare because everything is siloed, it's locked down. The architectures are literally like putting a bunch of spaghetti together. I, I once did a video called The Accidental Architecture, and it's because you have all of these vendors coming in and they're introducing new technologies and they're in proprietary formats and they don't talk to each other. And so putting all of it together to aggregate and make sense of it is an enormous challenge for the IT people working in these healthcare institutions. It's really difficult. And that's just the systems themselves, right? They have HL7 and they have more standard messaging. But the biomedical devices, so again, we focus a lot on critical care environments. And the reason is because, you know, there's a lot of attention paid to precision medicine when you look at cancer and genomics and even quality, but the same principles apply. Precision medicine is all about personalized medicine, personalized care, which is really what AI is doing, right? It's looking at how do I look for patterns specific to me? And so in critical care, you know, we have over 1.5 million patients a year, 500,000 people dying every year, and they die fast. It's happened so quickly because they're the sickest of the sick. In those environments, you could have, if you think of things like cardiology, neonatology, neurology, you could have eight, 10 devices uh, monitoring a patient, some devices keeping them alive. So you have lung and bypass machines. Well, on an average, that's about 800,000 samples an hour coming off of those devices. Enormous amounts of data. What goes in the EMR is six points. 99% of the data is not stored, it's not aggregated, and it's not usable because What's interesting, sometimes I talk to people and I say, well, think about this. When these biomedical devices were created to monitor a patient, there was someone there all the time, 24-7, standing at the bedside taking care. And we've changed that. We started to change healthcare. We've got all this EMR. But the biomedical devices themselves weren't designed to store the data. Cardiac monitors have some form of storage. They've got maybe 72 hours of what's called full disclosure. But even those, you wheel in a cardiac monitor into the ED and I put a patient on it, when I discharge that patient to go to the next patient, I delete the data. And all those other devices I mentioned, ventilators, mirrors, EEGs, a lot of those other ones don't have a lot of storage. And so if we're going to try to harness that data that's most important when we're making life-saving decisions, back to the doctor I mentioned, we've got a real conundrum because we've got to be able to fuse it with all that biomedical device data, with all the EMR data, with the imaging, with anything that's in a data lake, all this stuff that's in the hospital, if we're going to really get to AI and augmented intelligence, 
we've got to find a way to pull it all together and then push it back into the clinical system. So funny that you talk about how little connection there is between the instrumentation and the EHR system. My father recently had a visit in the hospital where he had a minor heart issue, nothing major. There's a huge amount of telemetry coming off of him, and the only data points that were ever entered into the EHR were once every few hours when the nurse came in and entered it manually. So yeah, I, yeah. very little of the data was actually captured. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, like, you know, it's beat to beat to beat. And then what point is actually entered into the record, right? What heart rate or SpO2 or respiratory rate was chosen? Is that indicative of what happened to that patient over the last four hours? It's quite sad in many ways when you talk to clinicians and you talk to doctors that are, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's like me having to put together a complex puzzle and I don't have all the pieces. So we've all done that, right? We've all gotten a puzzle and you're like, okay, well, I can't find the middle and it's super frustrating. But imagine what that feels like if you're trying to save a person's life and you can't put it all together because like, I've got to go over here and I'm running and I'm trying to put literally put a trend together on a piece of paper. And that has to change. Before we even worry about AI, we've got to figure out how to harness that data and unlock it so that we can actually change care in that moment, even with the data we're just collecting, before we even get to augmented intelligence. Heather, you're the Chief Commercial Officer for MIC. Tell us how MIC approaches this data problem. Sometimes I like to tell people, you know, the other thing of being in healthcare for so long, what's really interesting to me, it's when you look at where do people come from, right? We often see in this space that great companies, great technologies out there that may have been started out with one intent in mind, even even EMRs, right? They were created with the idea of getting out of this crazy paper thing and have changed healthcare dramatically in many amazing ways. They weren't necessarily designed for clinical decision support because of the type of data that's being collected, right? It's for reimbursement and all these other things. We actually started in analytics. We started in research. Our co-founder, Dr. Russin, he was in the Department of Cardiology at UVM and an engineer, literally a man ahead of his time. So 15 years ago, looking and saying, okay, I am going to start writing papers to figure out how we're going to predict cardiac arrest before it happens, hours before it happens. How are we going to predict deterioration? Very quickly realizing I can't do that unless I have the beat-to-beat data coming off those bedside devices. You can't predict cardiac arrest by one sample in time. You have to be able to see what's going on with the heart beat-to-beat. And you need to think about, is it respiratory that preceded cardiac? You know, you connected those devices to a patient for a reason. So if you're going to try to do machine learning on it, you have to have all that data. So looked everywhere, couldn't find anything, and and Craig created a grid computing platform to solve this problem, to essentially aggregate all the beat-to-beat data across biomedical devices, time-synchronize it. That's another huge thing, because again, if you think about all of these devices are collecting at varied sampling rates, so they have to be time-synchronized. And then we fuse it with data from the EMR, the labs, the meds, which are huge. Labs and meds are really important when you're looking at this space, because we all know medications impact the physiology. We started there and we started with actually in research with having an entire research stack that allows doctors, nurses, data scientists, anybody that's on the team that's trying to do research to rapidly do algorithm development. Literally, we'll say you can go from idea to publication in a day which in and of itself is huge because it allows us to more quickly release publications, get data, get that into the journals. But then Emma, our CEO, came along and said, well, wait a minute, if we're harnessing all this data for research, can we bring it into clinical care? And so what we actually did is we took the platform, which is software through the FDA and got it cleared as a class two medical device for monitoring. And then we layered on this entire visualization layer, which essentially unlocks data as apps. 
And so if you think about it, we all live our daily lives. We interact with data from an app, right? I want to go to the movies. I go to Fandango. I want to go to maps. I go to MapQuest. So we literally just, once the data is harnessed, it's how do you want to see it? And we turn on a visualization. And now we have this kind of complete end-to-end system that unlocks the data, changes the way you think about monitoring. So now, yes, you're going to always have those bedside devices capturing the data. But if we're going to monitor more effectively, we can do it through software because that means I can bring you any visualization anywhere you are on your PC, on your tablet, on your phone, or within your EMR workflows. And that's how we think of things. And now we're just rapidly starting to do transformations. Because remember, I said you have to have the data to collect it. So once you install it and collect it, now I can begin to start teaching the models. Now I can begin taking and looking at ways to flip that visualization on its head so that it's actually looking not just in the rear view mirror, but now looking forward and, and looking for patterns of potential deterioration and alerting within the clinical workflow. This concludes part one of our podcast. Check back for part two where Heather explains how MIC's platform is used in research and clinical settings, MIC's relationship with Dell, the origins of SickBay, which is the name of MIC's platform, research, clinical, and operations uses for sickbay, where to find more information, and final thoughts.